Good morning, everyone. We have arrived once again, a new day, a new scripture. Today is day 22. We've reached scripture number 22 in our ongoing series, 30 scriptures in 30 days. But before we do anything else, before we officially begin, we'll call this kind of the the pre-show. This is not the show hasn't even actually started yet. Just but I'm just going to go ahead and throw this out there before we actually start. Are you ready? All right. This is a little extra. This is free of charge. I'm just going to throw this out there. First, I'm going to ask you a question. How long have you been a Christian? How long have you been a Christian? I want you to really think about that. And in your time, and then I'm going to to advance that. How long have you been a Christian? And if you consider, and if you think back over your Christian life, how many phrases, how many concepts have you kind of just embraced without really giving it much thought? Oh, okay, we use that phrase. We use that word. Okay, we we believe in that concept. You didn't really give it much thought. You've embraced the phrases. You've embraced the idea. But if push came to shove, if I really was to corner you and, and, and say, okay, explain that phrase. You keep using the phrase. What does that mean? What does that mean in a very practical way? Why do you use that phrase? So what do you mean by that concept? Exactly what are you talking about? Do you think there would be some phrases and concepts that if you were kind of cornered and you had to explain it, you really would find yourself kind of struggling? You would be like, well, I mean, it means this. Well, I mean, I think it kind of means, well, I mean, and if you really tried to explain it, like you you may be able to give the idea in a theoretical way, but if you really tried to bring it down to something tangible and practical, you would be left kind of just, well, maybe a shrug of the shoulders and say, I, I don't really know. How long have you been a Christian? And in that time, how many words and phrases and ideas have you just simply embraced, but you really don't understand them and you really can't explain them? Do you got some in mind? Oh, I have one in mind. Oh, I have one that I have heard over and over and over. And on day 22, scripture number 22, we're going to talk about it. And we will begin officially right now.
Welcome, everyone, to the Theology Central Podcast. It is Monday, July the 4th, 2022. It is currently 1034 a.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from Abilene, Texas. And yes, it's the July the 4th holiday here in the United States of America. But just because it's a holiday, well, we can't stop. We, we, we can't stop. There's just no way we can stop because we've got things to do, right? Just because the calendar says July the 4th, the calendar also says it's day 22 and it's time to talk about scripture number 22 and our ongoing series, 30 scriptures in 30 days. We're getting ever so close to finally reaching the dramatic conclusion to this series. Now, I don't know how dramatic the conclusion is going to be, so maybe that's a little bit of a, maybe that's me uh, having, being too hopeful. Maybe I'm being very naive. I have a feeling that this is not going to end in some dramatic fashion, but it's going to, maybe it will be dramatic, but it will be dramatically bad, okay? Because each each day, I think this gets more and more, frustrating and more and more difficult in what we are trying to accomplish. Just a quick reminder to everyone, because we always have new people listening. Many years ago, Charles Stanley wrote a book called 30 Life Principles. That book became a Bible called the Life Principles Bible. It became a study guide. It was used in small groups, uh, churches, Sunday school classrooms, used in many different uh, settings and in many different ways within the Christian world. I stumbled across the book many years ago and thought, oh, this is going to be fun. This would be great. I'll get a notebook. I'll, I'll call it the 30 Life Principles Notebook, and I'll start studying these principles. I mean, I don't agree with all of Charles Stanley's theology, but he's been preaching for like 50-something years. I mean, his principles, they've got to be something here that I can take and I can really benefit from, and I can grow spiritually. It'll give me stuff to meditate on. It'll just be a fun study. And it only took me, it felt like five minutes to start going through the book going, wait a minute, wait a minute. So that's his principle, and that's the scripture that supposedly supports that principle. And I would keep looking at the scripture. I'd keep looking at the principle, scripture, principle, scripture, principle, and I'd be like, they don't fit. They don't. It's like having a puzzle box and none of the pieces fit together. I'm like, this is, it, this is driving me mad. And it, it did not take long before I, and again, I cannot be dogmatic about this, but this is how I feel. This is how I feel not saying it's true, but this is how I feel. It feels like to me, Charles Stanley came up with 30 life principles and said, oh, I need a scripture to, a, to support these principles. So he went, found scripture and imposed the scripture on the verses. He imposed the scripture on the passages of scripture. And in some cases, not only do are they not connected, in some cases, the scripture actually contradicts the principle Charles Stanley is giving, which is maddening to me, but it's also a warning sign to me that so many times we come up with ideas. We come up with concepts. We come up with desires. Whatever the case may be, we come up with so many things and we then try to impose that onto the scripture. We're never to impose anything on the scripture. We're simply supposed to study the scripture and whatever we find there, based off context, based off the words that use, that is what we are to believe. That is what we are to understand. So many times we, we, we want to impose our, it's almost like we want to impose our idea, our narrative upon the narrative of the text. So in some ways, working through this is kind of a hermeneutical challenge. But here's, here's what I, in my mind, I bought the books. 
I bought the study guide. I bought these things. And I always felt like, well, I've never really gotten anything out of it. I own the books. I've got it. I've got to find a way to do something with it. So then I came up with this really, 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 really bad idea. I know what I'll do. I'll turn on the microphone 30 days in a row. And each day, I'll just grab the life principle book, just open it up, go, okay, we're on day two, we're on day three, and whatever I find there, I'll just look at the scripture, no prior study, no prep, just in real time, go, here's the scripture for today, and then live on the air, try to struggle through it and try to figure out exactly what it's saying and trying to see if we can come up with some principles that actually come from the verses that are used. It, it, and, and part of the reason I'm doing that is I'm trying, I'm, I don't want you just to listen. I want you to hear me struggle. And then I want you to kind of just find yourself, no, 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 it's this. No, no, it's this. And by you know moving from a passive listener to an active participant. We've been talking about that in every episode. By now, hopefully everyone listening already understands that. But just in case someone stumbles across this series, they're like, what is going on? I don't understand. So I, that's why I have to explain it. But are you ready? Okay. In the opening, was it the official opening of this episode? But I asked you a question. How long have you been a Christian? And then I asked you a question. Then I asked a follow-up question. In that time as a Christian, how many concepts, phrases have you just embraced without ever really understanding them? And if you were, if kind of push came to shove and you were put in a corner and you had to explain it, if I just walked up and said, here's a piece of paper, you've got 15 minutes to explain why you use that phrase, what you mean by that concept, what would you just go, I don't even know how to explain this. I don't even know how to write it down because you just embraced something without actually understanding it. There's lots of times this bothers me so much, and I don't know if it bothers you, but before we get to the, I'm looking at the principle right now, so that's why I'm talking about this. I, I, let me let me ask you if this bothers you, because it's bothered me my whole Christian life. I've always hated, I think that's a good word. I don't think that's too strong of a word. I've always hated when I went to church and the pastor would preach something and he would give some kind of concept, some kind of idea he would say something, but there was never any true like explanation. And okay, well, how does that work in real life? Okay, I'm supposed to do this, but what does it look like? What exactly, how, how does that work? It's like, you've given me this concept. It sounds super spiritual. You've put it together, you know, giving me three points and all start with the same letter. It all sounds so good. Everyone around me is amening, like it's the greatest thing in the world, but I'm sitting there going, I, what does that look like tomorrow? Like once I leave the church, once I stand up from this pulpit and walk out, okay, what does that mean now? What, what does that look like? Everyone said, amen. Everyone acted like it was great, but did it, was it more than just some theoretical idea thrown out on a Sunday morning? Or does it have any real meaningful impact on Monday? I'll, I'll, I'll try to even make it simpler to you. Here, this is not a direct, this is not a direct example, but this will give you at least kind of the direction I'm thinking. I cannot stand, and I mean this, I cannot stand to be sitting in a, a, a church and the pastor talks about, we need to be students of the Bible. We need to study the Bible. We need to study the Bible. And you're like, and everybody's like, amen, amen. And then when church is over, you can look at those people who are amening. Okay, so we need to study the Bible. How do you study? How do you study the Bible? 
And it's just kind of this mumbling. Well, I mean, I read it, I highlight it. I mean, I, I, I may, I may look up some other scripture. Like it's the most vague, meaningless definition of Bible study that I've ever heard. They don't, they don't, because they've heard their whole life you need to study the Bible, so they know they're supposed to say Amen to it. But when you really say, what does that look like? I mean, I read. I mean, I mean, I, I use a devotional. No, how do you study the? And, and they, they don't have. They don't have anything. I'm like, then why are you saying Amen to it? You shouldn't be saying Amen. You should be saying, How do I do it? And then what you need is specific methods of Bible study that you can take and you can start using when you leave the church. That's just one example of many. So many times I hear things and it's like, well, what do I, I don't know what that means. I don't know what, what are you talking about? What, what, what exactly are you talking about? Now, I say that because we're getting ready to look at a phrase that is like built into the Christian DNA. Christians say it all the time. I don't know if they have any clue what it means, I don't know if they have any clue how it actually works. I know that they claim lots of things. They claim things, Christians claim things all the time that in most cases I think can be proven to not not actually be occurring, all right? So are you ready? Here we go. So today, remember, I'm going to give you the principle, then we're going to set aside the principle and look at the scripture. This one, this one is just going to be a mess. This this one is, I'm already worried about this one, and I will say this. I can't go and do a full teaching on this in this episode, because remember, one day, one scripture, and then we move on. But this, I will ensure that we try to bring this into our Bible study exercise that we're currently doing on the doctrine of, of uh, the doctrine of pneumatology, the, the, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, the theological study of pneumatology, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. We are working on that for the Bible study exercise. We've been doing a lot of work, and this subject is going to have to be dealt with before we are done. So you already know what this is getting ready to deal with. It's going to deal with the the Holy Spirit. Here we go. Life principle number 22, according to Charles Stanley in his book, 30 Life Principles. To walk in the Spirit is to obey the initial promptings of the Spirit. To walk in the Spirit is to obey the initial promptings of the Spirit. So, first we have the phrase, walk in the Spirit. Oh, Christians love that phrase. You need to walk in the Spirit. You need to walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. You need to walk in the Spirit. If you walk in the Spirit, you won't do this. If you walk in the Spirit, you won't do this. If you walk in the Spirit, you will do this. Walk, walk. Oh, man, I've heard heard this phrase talked about over and over and over and over and over. And after all of these years as a Christian, after all of these years of teaching and doing all the things that I've been involved in in Christianity, I still don't know if I've ever been given an exact direct answer of what that means, or even if they try to give me a direct answer, you're like, okay, so it works this way, and you start asking questions like, well, 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 no, no, I mean, not exactly that way. No, no, I need you to explain it to me, right? Because when you preached it, everybody was saying amen. Some churches, they were like clapping, and everybody was getting excited, but when I I worked with some of those people that were clapping, and I don't know if they really know what it means, and I don't think they can really explain it. And it looks like they don't live their life any different than anybody else, even though they sure claim they do. What does it mean to walk in the Spirit? Well, at least in this situation, 
Charles Stanley doesn't just say life principle number 22, walk in the spirit. No, he says life principle number 22. He explains what to walk in the spirit is. According to him, to walk in the spirit is to obey the initial promptings of the spirit. So Charles Stanley is going to do what many Christians do, all right? There's this, many Christians take the Christian life and they believe that the Christian life is one that is lived based off internal promptings, internal guidance, internal direction, internal speaking, and that's what guides you, that's what directs you, that's what moves you. It's some internal prompting, some internal guidance, some in, something internal that is guiding you and prompting you that other people don't have. There's the people who aren't Christians, they don't have this internal prompting, this internal guidance, this internal direction system. They don't have this internal GPS, right? And many Christians see that the Christian life is lived according to this internal motivation and direction and prompting, whatever words they would use. But it's a it's something that's mystical, supernatural, that's internal. That's how some Christians view it. I believe, from my perspective, is that I don't trust anything coming from an internal prompting, internal directing, and internal uh, speaking. I, I don't I don't trust anything that's coming from inside of me. I believe the Christian life is not lived by internal direction or internal prompting. I think the Christian life is lived by an external guidance system, an external prompting, an external leading, an external direction. And I believe that is the word of God. Because anything inside of me cannot be trusted. That which is outside of me, which is God's word, can be trusted. Now, I know that I am supposed to bring God's word inside of me, but that's still the external leading of God's word, not my internal, some internal prompting or some internal feeling. And the reason I reject this internal kind of living out the Christian life based off some internal prompting and guidance, direction, whatever this internal thing is, which basically always gets spoken of as being the Holy Spirit, what it means to walk in the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, to be guided by the Spirit, all of these phrases that are just used constantly within the evangelical world, I think the problem with all of that, it sounds spiritual and it sounds good, so everybody loves it, right? It sounds great to think that I've got something that no one else has that who or no one else who's a non-believer has. But here's the issue. I also know what else is inside of me. Now, if I believe if I believed in the eradication of the old nature, if I believed that the old nature was eradicated, that it was destroyed, then I would be more likely to embrace a Christianity that is directed by an internal prompting. But I don't believe in the eradication of the old nature. I believe the old nature is very much present. It is alive. It is kicking. It is well. It is strong inside of you and inside of me. It's inside of us, internal, right? And it will remain there until I experience glorification and I get a new, a glorified body that is no longer 
that no longer contains a sinful nature, and then sin will be put away, and there'll be no more pain, no more suffering, and no more death. But as long as I'm in this body, a sinful nature is present. Therefore, any internal promptings, directions, or words is going to be influenced and tainted to some level by that sinful nature, or that sinful nature will at least make it more convoluted and confusing and trying to draw the distinction between the internal prompting of supposedly God versus the internal promptings of the depraved spirit. So what? this is how many evangelicals get around this. No, no, no. You, The Christian life is lived based on this inter, internal promptings. But what you have to do is every internal prompting, then you have to take it, and then you have to go to the Word of God to determine if it's consistent with it or not consistent with it. Well, if, I'm, if I got to go to the Word of God anyway, why don't I just start with the Word of God and end with the Word of God? Because I know this, if I take an internal prompting and go, I wonder if that's God or not God, I guarantee you I will find a way to make it God because I will impose what I feel and what I think onto the scriptures. And then therefore I end up, to me, that's a horrible way to do hermeneutics. Well, I got this prompting. I think it's from God. Okay, do I find anything in the Bible? Okay, no, I know. And and it will find a way to make it work. We, We will impose it on the text. We will impose it on the text because it's our nature to do so. So this phrase of walking in the spirit, you've probably used it. You probably use it all the time. Practically, what does it look like? What does it actually mean? Now, we're going to talk about this more in our Bible study exercise on, on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, on pneumatology. We, we, will, we, will, we, were, we will deal with this in, a, in some more, more of a a comprehensive way, and I, I, I don't know exactly where we're going to go with this because I've struggled with this my whole Christian life. But for now, what we're going to do is we're going to just look at what Charles Stanley does with this to some level. What I want to do is we'll just look at the scripture first that he supposedly offers, and I, but I have a feeling it's not going to be sufficient, but we'll see what we can do here. So according to Stanley, to walk in the Spirit is to obey the initial promptings of the Spirit. So, according to Stanley, if you want to walk in the Spirit, then this means you obey that initial prompting. And remember, the prompting is coming inside of you, right? It's the call is coming inside of the house, right? It's inside of you. Now, you were to figure out, okay, that's the prompting of the Spirit. Now, I obey it. Now, if I do that, if I do that, then I'm walking in the Spirit. So, just know what's required. First, I've got to detect the prompting. Two, I have to discern the prompting. Is it God or is it me, right? Three, I have to obey it. So if I'm going to walk in the spirit, I have to have to discern that a prompting is happening, right? I have to try to figure, I have to detect the prompting, okay? Then I have to discern, is it really from God? Then I have to obey it, right? That That's all, that's just to walk in the spirit. Well, to me, that's far, again, that's all this inside stuff that I'm trying, is, okay, is that, is that the spirit? Is that? Oh, I think, oh, I'm detecting something. Okay, that's the spirit. Okay, I got to discern. Am I sure that's the spirit? Okay, then I have to obey it. Versus I open up my Bible, I study it, I read it, I have to understand it, and then I have to, well, seek to obey it. But this this to me is so experiential. This is more about experience. This is about emotion. This is about feelings. 
And all of that is just so pragmatic and subjective. I, I like something objective outside of me. When I open up the Bible, my feelings are irrelevant. I'm not to impose my feelings on the text. I am to study it. Words have meaning. Words have context. Those, those, those words and context have a historical context. There's a grammatical. I mean, there, there's just a way to try, try to take care, try to, try to understand it, but it's outside of me. That's one, one of the things I love about Christianity is that God's word is external to me. And it can be read and studied. This internal experiential kind of Christianity to me is subjective and leads to just, well, either delusion or chaos in my mind. But let's see what scripture he wants us to have, all right? To walk in the spirit is to obey the initial promptings of the spirit, according to Charles Stanley. And I, you, where do you think, what scripture do you think he would provide here? Now, one good thing is it's in the New Testament again. So finally, we get another New Testament passage. But you think he would go to like Galatians, right? Walk in the spirit, where it literally says walk in the spirit. He goes to Acts chapter 10. Now, I have not looked at this in advance. I'm a little worried about what's getting ready to happen here, but okay. Acts 10.19. This is just bizarre that he would go here. Acts 10.19. And here and here's the reason it's bizarre. Oh, I'll explain it in a minute. Acts 10.19. While Peter thought on the vision, the Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee. While Peter thought on the vision, the Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee. That is just bizarre that that's the passage. I'm going to make sure I read. That can't be. You're almost like, there's no way that's the passage he would have used here. Acts 10, 19. Okay, that's, that's the right verse. Acts 10, 19. I'm double checking, triple checking. Okay, so. So many issues with it, this. All right, so he takes an example where the Spirit speaks directly to Peter and tells him that three people are seeking him. And they're like, okay, so that, what he wants us to take from that is he, to walk in the Spirit is for us to listen to when the Spirit speaks, and then we obey that prompting. Hey, three men seek you, so you go to those men, you listen to them, or you do that. So in other words, he is to hear and then to obey the prompting. And that's what Charles Stanley defines as the the walking in the spirit. Now, for this to be true, I, I'm telling you, you cannot believe all of God's revelation has ceased. Because if you're sitting there one day and all of a sudden God says, three men are seeking you. Well, first of all, you would have to write that down. Three men are seeking you. You'd have to put it in quotations because it would be God speaking. So God would be literally revealing new things to you. It would be revelation hasn't ceased. God And God's word, what's the point of this? What's the point of this? I'm holding the Bible in my hand. If God is literally speaking to you like that every day, and millions of Christians say that constantly, God spoke to me. God said this to me. I, I can't even count how many sermons. Okay, I was doing this, and God spoke to me, and God told me this, and God told me that, and God told me this, and God told me that. And you're just like, 
So then the, what's the point of the Bible? If God is continuing to speak, revelation hasn't ceased, and the Bible is not the final f- authority. You've destroyed the authority of Scripture. You've destroyed the special the Scriptures being special because everyone is supposedly hearing from God every single day. And I have to raise this question. If God is speaking to every, basically every Christian every in the evangelical world, Christians everywhere claim God is speaking, God is speaking, God is speaking. If God is speaking to everyone, right, why is it then that we have 50 million different interpretations on every scripture? You get 10 Christians in the same room, like today we're going to be studying Jude or whatever, then everyone in the room would be like, okay, well, we all agree. because And if one of us was wrong, God would say, no, you're wrong. That's the correct interpretation. But that's not happening. Everyone claims God is speaking to them, right? He tells them where to park. He tells them where to move. He tells them what house to buy. So many just random things, God. But God can't seem to have his church agree on baptism. God can't seem to have his church agree on, I don't know how to interpret everything from Genesis 1-1 all the way to the end of Revelation. There is just constant disagreement. If God is still speaking, you think the one thing he would do is stop all of the division and all of the disunity, and just give us an interpretation of the scriptures. That would be the best thing he, right? I don't need new revelation. I need God to give me an a interpretation of the revelation, which he's already given, because I've got 2,000 years of church history where nobody can agree on anything. So I don't need God telling me, oh, no, no, don't park there. No, 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 stop, 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 stop. There's going to be a car coming. Whatever whatever the whatever the things that people are, are cl- yeah, I've heard everything from where to park and that God told them to take a left turn instead of a right turn. And then they found out that five miles down the road, there was an accident. So God kept them from the accident. Obviously, he didn't keep the other people who ended up dying in the accident safe. Okay, whatever the case may be, you hear all of these stories and you're like, okay, great, wonderful. Let's say that's all true. Why won't God just give us one interpretation of his word? Wouldn't that be wonderful? Hey, Lord, what what, what do we believe about baptism? Oh, okay, infant baptism is wrong. Sprinkling is wrong. Okay, good, I... I thought that, okay? I don't know if those Presbyterians are going to listen. I I think you're really going to have to speak up because they don't seem to get it, okay? All right? Or, hey, you Baptist. Nope, it's uh, it's sprinkling and you're to baptize babies. Okay, well, now, if you're going to baptize babies, is it for regeneration? Like, is the babies regenerated? Or do we just put the sign of the covenant? Which one? Which one? Because, you know, you're going to have some Lutherans who may not listen or you may have some Presbyterians may not listen. Okay, wait, wait, is it the Protestant faith or the Catholic faith? Because you're going to have to really speak up loud because nobody's listening on either side. Like, we've got some things that if God is going to be speaking and he's going to be supposedly leading us into all truth and he's guiding and he's directing and he's prompting, the problem is we nobody agrees on what truth is. So that's where I have to call this all into question, that what, that he gives us Acts 10, 19, that walking in the spirit is to obey the initial promptings, and he gives me an example where God is speaking to Peter. Let me make it very clear. In the New Testament, before the Bible was complete, God spoke in many different ways, audibly, through visions, maybe some still small voice. 
He spoke in so many different ways, right? He spoke, he spoke from the burning bush. He spoke all the different ways that he, he uh, spoke in the New to Old Testament and the New Testament. But once the scriptures were complete, if that speaking is still continuing, then the scriptures become secondary. I mean, come on, let's be honest. Do I spend a, a, all day with Bibles, notebooks, trying to interpret the Greek, the Hebrew, trying to understand the historical context. Why would I do all of that when I can just say God just speaks to me directly? I wouldn't have to, hey, Lord, you speak to me all day, every day. I mean, because Christians constantly claim as God is talking to them and leading them. It would just be simply, how do I understand this verse? Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Thank you. All right. Good to go. I mean, what? I'm, in fact, why would we even need that? Everyone sitting in the pew, God is speaking to everyone. I mean, directly. God is speaking directly to you. There's, so, I mean, what's the point of, of trying to figure out what he was saying to Hosea and trying to understand some phrases in the Hebrew and trying to interpret this and trying to outline it and trying to figure out all the different interpretations when God is speaking directly? And whenever I raise these questions, people are like, oh, you're just, that's, you're, that's, you're just creating a, a, a wrong way of understanding this. No, I'm not. You're the one claiming God is speaking to you. I'm not the one claiming that. I claim God has spoken in his word, and his word speaks to me every time I open it and read it. But it's up to me to study it and try to interpret it. And that's where we are today. We're not in an act situation. The scriptures were not complete. God was still giving revelation. He had to continue to be giving revelation because he was the process of inspiration was taking that revelation so that it could be placed in written form and then revelation would cease and now we have his book and now we are not people of some internal supernatural mystical trying to live out the Christian life. We're the people of the book. Now, I, I could go through everything he has to say here about walking in the Spirit, but basically he's just going to take the story apart in Acts chapter 10. Well, whatever he does in Acts chapter 10, yes, God was speaking through visions. He was speaking in all kinds of different ways. No one deny. everyone is in agreement with that. The point is, is he still speaking in that way today? Most Many Christians may not say, well, it's not a vision. It's, it's not really a dream, but it's just this inner prompting, this inner voice, this inner... And you're like, okay, what, what, what does that mean? What does it look like? It means you just got a thought. You, you just came up with an idea and you're just like, oh, that was God. Right? What, what, what is, I got a feeling. What? what? What does it mean? And we've got to have something practical. So what is a possible way of understanding all of the concepts and all the phrases in the Bible of walking in the spirit, being led by the spirit? What, what, what do you think that could mean? And a theological system that rejects the idea that God is continuing to give revelation. Right? I, re I believe revelation has ceased, the canon is closed, and that I am to live my life as according to the book, not according to some internal prompting. 
Now, you may still hold to, oh, no, 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 walking in the Spirit. You can go with all that internal stuff all day. You can make all the claims that God is talking to you. I'm not here to argue with you, right? I mean, I could argue that, well, God told me that he's not talking to you. And then you would have to tell me, no, God told me that he's, he's not talking to you. And it, just, no, in other words, once you start claiming that, it just really becomes spiritual anarchy. And it's a free-for-all. And I just the whole thing just drives me, me crazy, right? It's so subjective, so pragmatic, so just everything is wrong with it in my estimation. Um, but what do we do with this phrase, walk in the spirit? Well, I'm not going to spend forever working through this, but I just happen to have here some commentary on walking in the spirit. And I want you to at least hear this perspective. All right, walk in the spirit. First, we have the word walk, all right, which is a progressive present tense command with uh continuity that would be that could be translated keep and continually walking all right so the idea to walk is a is a progressive present tense command it shows continuity it shows that you continue so it could be translated this idea keep on continually walking keep on continually walking we are to keep on continually walking so it's something continuing to walk in the spirit is something that we continue to do all right the idea the idea here is that life that the life of a Christian unfolds one day at a time. It unfolds one step at a time. Walking then is a very kind of a, a very picturesque metaphor. One step at a time under the control of the Holy Spirit. That's how we are to live. It is a habitual thing. It's a constant pattern. It is routine for us. We already have the indwelling spirit, according to Romans 8, 9, 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is in us, and the Holy Spirit is moving and leading, and we are simply to respond moment by moment, step by step, day by day, walking by means of the power and direction of the Spirit. That, that's it. Just walk by the Spirit in an attitude of submission to the Holy Spirit. All right, that sounds all good, right? But again, it's still very theoretical. What does that mean? Okay, just walk day by day, continual. It's an ongoing process. The Spirit is in me. Now I just submit to its leading, its direction. All right, that's still so subjective because it's still focusing on some internal, something internal. And what's else also inside of me? Sin. So I, I have major issues here. Maybe they're going to explain this in a way that will take away the mystical nature of it. And it will be something far more tangible that I can grab on to. Let's see what they say. They go on to say this. Now, what does that involve? That's a great question. You've given me this idea. And many Christians will sit there and go, okay, okay, the Spirit's leading me. The Spirit's guiding me. I walk in the Spirit. Okay, okay, okay. And, and I think when you're a young Christian, you're so excited. You're like, I'm going to do this. But you're kind of like, how? What? What does it look like? Are they going to give me something tangible? Now, what does that involve? Well, pragmatically, it involves two things, really. One, it involves studying the Word of God so that you know the mind of the Spirit and the will of the Spirit. Oh, wow. Now, this I can grab onto. To walk in the Spirit would be to study the words of the Spirit. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God right? And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof. And the Holy Spirit is the one who moved those writers to write. 
what God wanted recorded. So the Holy Spirit is clearly involved in the production of the scriptures, right? So the scripture that so if I'm going to walk in the spirit, that means walking in accordance with the spirit, walking in accordance with his desire and his will. How do I figure out that desire and will? Not by an internal prompting, by but by, by the external, infallible, inerrant, preserved word of God. That's the only thing I can look to. So to walk in the spirit is to study God's word. They offer some, 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 some concepts here. I'm going to read this again. Pragmatically, they say it involves two things, right? I don't know what the second thing is, but the first thing I can relate to, it involves studying the word of God. That makes sense to me. That's not, that's, that's not confusing. I mean, it's confusing considering nobody ever understands and can, can agree on the meaning of God's word, but at least it gives me something tangible, something that we can work with, right? So that we know the mind of the spirit and the will of the spirit. If I want to know the mind of the spirit, if I want to know the will of the spirit, let me state it this way. If I want to know the promptings of the spirit, those, the will, the mind, and the promptings are recorded here, not inside of me, because inside of me, guess what I discover? My mind, my will, and my desire, which will always be in conflict with the mind of God, the will of God, and the promptings of God, right? That's why it has to be outside of me, because once it gets inside of me, it gets convoluted, and I can try to claim my, my mind, my will, my prompting is from God, when in reality, it's nothing more than self. So that's why I like the concept of it being outside of me, right? It says, Ephesians 5 says, being kept filled with the Spirit. And a parallel passage, Colossians 3.16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Being filled with the Spirit is the same as letting the word dwell in you richly because as the word dominates your thinking, it dominates your action. So to be filled with the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, to walk by the Spirit, is to have your life filled and dominated by the Word of God. The more you read it, the more you memorize it, the more you study it, it so saturates your life that it becomes the guiding principle. It's not about, no, okay, here's the Bible over here, but I'm, I've got the Spirit, and it's going to guide. No, it's not some, it can never be separated from the Word of God. Let me read all of this again, right? Very important. The, the idea of walking in the Spirit involves the study of God's Word so that you know the mind of the Spirit and the will of the Spirit. Being kept filled with the Spirit. And a parallel passage, Colossians 3.16, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Being filled with the Spirit is the same as letting the Word dwell in you richly because as the word dominates your thinking, it dominates your action. As the word moves through your heart and mind, it is that by which the Spirit of God directs your life. So as you spend time in the word, and as you spend time in prayer, communion with the living God, and building an intimate relationship with, with God, with the Spirit of God, as you feed on the word and as you commune with God, you are in the position where the Spirit of God can move you down the path, walking as he wants you to walk. It, the, be, being walking in the spirit is to be filled with to, to be to walk in the spirit to be filled with the spirit all of those con to be led by the spirit all of those concepts is to be walk in the word of god 
to be led by the word of God, to be filled with the word of God. As the word of God dwells in you richly, as it, as it saturates your life, then that is the thing that directs you. That is the thing you are to think about. That is the thing you... Now, once it comes inside of you, you still have the internal conflict of your own sinful desire. That's why the word of God is in a written form. It's outside of me. It has to be outside of me because at least I have the possibility that when I go pick up a Bible right here, I can be like, okay, whatever I feel, whatever I desire, it's got to go today. I can't... I got to forget about what I want. I got to forget about what I desire. I got to, that's why the Bible constantly says the Christian life is one of self-denial, dying to self and no longer following self, right? That's, that's the path of a disciple. Die to self, deny self. And so guess what? I need the word of God outside of myself. It's got to be external to me. So to be filled with the spirit, all of those concepts means to let the word of God so fill you that the word of God is what dominates you. All right, now, there's, there's probably more here in this commentary I could read, but I just want to stop right there. So I think to walk in the Spirit simply means, if I can go back to the Kindle, to walk in the Spirit is to obey the initial promptings of the Spirit. To walk in the Spirit is to, I'm going to say, is to seek to follow the Word of God. To walk in the Spirit is to seek to walk according to the Word of God. Now, we're never going to do this perfectly, so you already have to be prepared for that. But that's what it means. I don't believe... You say, well, do you believe you're filled with the Spirit? Yes, I do believe I'm filled with the Spirit. Yes, and I believe the Spirit there is to do what? It's there to seal me until the day of redemption. And anything else that I think the Spirit may or may not be doing, it's inside of me. But guess what? To walk in it, to be filled with it, is connected to the Word of God. Now, I know I'm going to get emails going, but you don't understand. One time at this, and I had this strong feeling, and I had this strong I thought, and this strong... You know how many people who are not even saved comes up with, you know, I was driving, and I just had this strong feeling that I shouldn't do this, or I shouldn't go there. I had this strong sense that something was going... And they're not even believers, so just because you had that feeling or that thought or heard something doesn't mean in any way, shape, or form that supposedly came from God. I can't always explain every phenomenon and every action and every feeling and every emotion. I can't explain all of that. I just know that if I go down that path, then Christianity becomes this very subject, very subjective, almost a very pragmatic mystical experience where I am trying to follow the, I'm leading my, living my Christian life followed by some internal direction and internal promptings instead of the word of God that's external. I want the word of God in me. Absolutely. And why do I want the word of God in me? The more the word of God is in me, it's, I have something inside of me to help fight against my natural inclinations because the word of God says, no, that's wrong. That feeling is wrong. That desire is wrong. That, that's wrong. That, the word of God is there to fight it. But I, that's why I've hid thy word in my heart so I might not sin against thee. The word of God fights against that sin. Now, most people attach all of this concept to, well, the Spirit is in you, the Spirit is in you, the Spirit is in you. 
I've got another article here about walking in the spirit, and it sounds all good. I want to make it very clear. If I was to read this other article about walking in the spirit, you, you would be want to say, amen, 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 amen. But when it's all said and done, you'd be like, okay, so what exactly does that mean practically? What does it mean practically? What does that mean? I'll, I'll give you an example. See if I can find it. See if I can find it. Galatians 5, 16. This, this passage has bothered me my entire Christian life. This, is, this one has just driven me nuts. And it should drive every Christian nuts. This I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now, the idea that people have in the evangelical world is that, okay, now that you're saved, you're, you're indwelt with the Holy Spirit, right? He's inside of you. And that his power is there working in you and through you. Therefore, now you've got the, the omnipotent power of God inside of you, giving you strength, giving you power, right? So therefore, the concept would be, well, if I've got the omnipotent power of God working in me, giving me power and giving me strength, well, then... Not sinning would be the easiest thing. I mean, it, it, I, I should never sin again. I should never have a lustful thought. I should never back. I should never gossip. I should never slander. I literally have God giving me this strength, and that's how people see it. So they will literally say, "Look, if you'll walk in the Spirit, the Spirit's there. You've got all the power. You simply submit to it. Boom! You'll 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 never fulfill the lust of the flesh again. You basically will stop sinning. You should be sinlessly." You should be basically sinless perfection. Now, many Christians will kind of preach that one way, but then always say, but, 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 you're not going to do it perfectly. And then I always raise my hand, wait a minute. Why would I not do it perfectly? Because the spirit of God, if he's in me and that power is working the way you claim, well, then that power should overcome any hesitancy I have in my part, any rebellion I have in my part. In fact, his power should overcome any submission, any uh, unwillingness to submit to him. He should just literally, I mean, I've got the power of God in me. So I should not be, you say, well, you can resist it. Well, so I can, re so God's power can be stopped by me. This raises so many theological questions. So I'm greater than God. I have more power than God. We'll see God. Will, and then it just goes into this never ending circle of just, it's like being on a hamster wheel and it just becomes circular reasoning that never goes anywhere. Because on one hand, we want to claim we have the power, we're free, we can obey. And then we're like, but, 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 you won't do it perfectly. Why are you hedging your bets? I think it's this, to walk in the spirit, I will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. It's true. If I walk in the spirit, means walking in the word of God. If I follow the word of God and obey the word of God, I will not fulfill the lust of the flesh because God's word will lead me to something different. But you know what? I'm never going to come close to anywhere close to doing that. I'm going to fall short of that over and over and over. But I know who did walk in the spirit perfectly. That was Jesus Christ. And his life of walking in the spirit, which was perfect, that obedience, passive and active, and his righteousness is imputed to my account. So in my position, I do walk in the spirit perfectly. In my practice, well, sometimes I read and obey. Sometimes I do not. I don't think it's this weird mystical thing. You say, well, do you believe the Spirit's in you? I do. You say, well, exactly what is he doing in me? Some things make sense, right? He's interceding for me. That makes sense. He's sealing me to the day of redemption. That makes sense. 
his, his spirit in me is basically proof, a down payment that I'm going to be resurrected, right? That I belong to God. It shows ownership, that he has taken possession of me. I, I do believe that. I do believe some way, somehow, he's supposed to be producing fruit, the fruit of the spirit. Exactly how that works? There's a lot of questions. But I cannot bring, I cannot create a situation where I turn Christianity into something so subjective and confusing that it really has no practical value and nobody can really understand it. You can preach it. You can talk it. But what does it mean Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday in real tangible terms? What does it actually mean? What does it actually look like? Now, obviously, I'm a million miles away from anyone who's ever been influenced by the charismatic world or is in the charismatic world. I reject that whole theological system outright. I, I completely reject anything associated with the charismatic world. I do. But I believe there are many who are not charismatic in theology, are charismatic very much in ideology and in practice and what they say. And I'm like, that's very charismatic. Now, you may, you may long for a Christian life that's much more internally driven. I believe in a Christian life that's much more externally led, and it's here. And to be filled and to walk in the Spirit is to, be, is to walk in the Word of God and allow the Word of God to so dominate and saturate my life that that's what's guiding and directing me. Now, I could try to write out a principle here. But I'm not, and, and for this reason. First, the scripture that Charles Stanley gives us, Acts 10, 19, is it Acts 10, 19? Let me look here, make sure I don't give the wrong one. I mean, we couldn't do anything with it, right? It's Acts 10, 19. We can look at that whole story. There's a vision. The Spirit is speaking. There's all, basically, it's everything taking place, and it all is taking place in a historical context before the completed canon of scripture before the revelation had ceased. So at that time, he was speaking in all of those ways. No one doubts that. No one denies that. It's not happening today. It's just not. So I I could try to write a principle, but it would be a principle not based on anything in that scripture because that scripture doesn't have a principle for us. It's giving, it's, it's simply giving me a historical description of how the spirit spoke to Peter. It's not prescribing how he speaks to us. Remember, in in, in the Bible, you have to determine what is descriptive and what is prescriptive. What's simply describing what occurred and what scriptures prescribe what we are to do. There's nothing there for me. It's describing how the Spirit led Peter, how the Spirit led the early church, how the Spirit communicated to the early church, how the the early church had apostolic authority in which God was giving revelation, direct revelation, and how God was in the process of inspiring Scripture so that we would have it. That's all during the apostolic era. I don't believe in apostolic succession, and I definitely don't, and I believe when uh, the canon was closed, revelation ceased. And I believe many of the things the Spirit did in that particular time period is not operational today. And you say, that's insane. No, it's not. The the Holy Spirit came upon Samson and look at all the things he did. You see that happening today? People with that kind of supernatural strength? No, it was a one-time situation. So we clearly have the Spirit doing certain things at certain times that he doesn't do in every time. The Spirit is the same, right? 
third person of the Trinity, one God, three distinct persons, co-equal, co-eternal. So the spirit is the same, but the working is different. He doesn't do the things that he, it's not the same. He's not giving the same revelation. He's not giving supernatural strength like he did to Samson. We're in a different period where the spirit is operating in a very different way. All right. If you're, I know some of you will, you didn't mention this and what about this and what about, remember, this is just to deal with this. This was just to deal with day 22 that Charles Stanley gives us. This is not to do an extensive study on all of this. If you do have questions, please email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com, and make sure you understand. I know 99% of the people are going to disagree with me. So it's, I'm not, it's, I understand. You, you, you've been so brought up in the evangelical mindset that you think a certain way and you're hearing something that's so radically opposite to it. I, I appreciate that. I'm not, if you want to live and think that way, you have every right to do so. You go live your Christian life that way. I'm going to spend my Christian life going a different direction. When I was a young Christian, I followed that direction everyone else has talked about. And it just, it, no, it's just, the the claims never matched the reality. The claims never matched the reality. And it, it just led to confusion and chaos. And, and at some point, you just have to realize, no, you're, cl- you're, you're claiming something that nothing in reality even demonstrates is happening. And at some point, you've got to see that and go, man, that's stupid. That, yeah, I think so. But hey. You're free to do that. You're free to live that way. That's great. That's that's great. And uh, I, I hope that it works out for you. I hope it does. I hope it, hope it does. That's great. And you may say it's working out wonderful. Praise God. That's awesome. That's wonderful. I just can't follow that way of thinking, and I can't follow that kind of theology. Now, we didn't answer every question. That's why we've been doing uh, what? Oh, 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 I don't even know what week we're on. Week five, week six on the Doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And we will be talking more about that this week. Trust me, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, we're going to be spending a lot of time on pneumatology, going back and working on it. And if you want to start getting mad and getting upset, I gave at the very beginning of our study on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit on pneumatology, I gave everyone the topical method of Bible study so that you could be doing an extensive topical study on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, and then you could see what you find. All right? You, you can see, and then I, I've given everyone access to the curriculum, which gives a different perspective than the one I teach. So I've tried to be fair. We reviewed a, a sermon from R.A. Torrey. We, we've done, I've got on the uh, YouVersion Bible app for us, for Theology Central, if you have the YouVersion Bible app, you can look for us. I put a devotional there by, from R.A. Torrey on the Holy Spirit, which again, I don't agree with everything. So I'm not, it's not like I'm scared of the other perspective. I've, I've done everything I can to promote the other perspective, but I just reject it. I just reject it. And you know what? If I do reject it, and if the Holy Spirit works the way everyone says that he works, well, then guess what? He should be overcome by that, my objection, and be able to 100% change my mind and no, and no time at all, because I'm more than open for it to be changed. And so you would have to ask, well, then why hasn't he done that, right? I mean, yeah, just, in other words, this just becomes never-ending questions when you get into this debate. And really, they, it just really becomes circular reasoning, and you don't ever get anywhere. All right, email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. 
And this concludes Day 22, Scripture Number 22, from Charles Stanley's 30 Life Principles. We're going to finish it. We're almost, we're, we're reaching, we're turning, we're rounding the corner, and I can see the, the, the finish line. And we're going to push through, and we're going to make it. I think I thank everyone who's been a part of this, and uh, I don't know if this one will be any bit, uh, has been beneficial, but whatever your thoughts are on the subject, let me know. Newsif at yahoo.com. And I will actually end today with our theme music because I think this has been a pretty important conversation and I think it will be epically controversial. So I think the epic music fits. Thank you for listening. Everyone have a great day. God bless.